Okay, right now I'm in the chaotic period of trying to finish up my oral board case lists, and I'm trying to like frantically remember what in the heck I was doing way back when I was a chief resident. And thank God there is the OBG project to help remind me of some of these things. Yeah, the OBG project has been great for studying for oral boards because I'm in the exact same place as you are. What's even better is that I have their subscription service, OBG First, which allows me to create my own bookshelf so that I can go back to all the articles that I've been reading about GYN that I've forgotten. If you're a chief resident, you can get that OBG First absolutely free. Head on over to our website, creagsrivertocoffee.com. Check out the sidebar and you can sign up. And if you're a resident, you actually can get access to the core, which is a resident curriculum. I actually have a new feature on here called the Resident Core Life Hacks Library, which I'm going to have to go check out. You can also check out the sidebar on our website to get signed up. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Faye. This is Nick. And this is... Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. Today we're going to be talking about tobacco use and discussing it in pregnancy. So Nick, talk to me about our learning objectives for today. So we'll talk about the epidemiology of tobacco use and then we'll review risks of tobacco or nicotine use, specifically in pregnancy. Um, and finally, we'll review the evidence-based strategies, techniques, and medications to assist with smoking cessation. ACOG has a committee opinion out about this. It's committee opinion 807 that is helpful reading along. So Faye, I think kind of to start, you know, I think we all know, or at least folks listening to this podcast are aware that tobacco use, nicotine use is not good for you, but let's actually spell it out. Yes, most people know this already, but tobacco remains the leading cause of preventable disease, disability, and death in the United States, despite overall decreasing rates of smoking. Still, 14% of U.S. adults smoke cigarettes, and you know, while we know I think there's increased risks to lots of things like lung cancer, cervical cancer, all these other things, I particularly talk to my patients about the effects on fertility if they want to get pregnant and on pregnancy, right? So the rate is overall lower in terms of smoking and pregnancy, around 7.2%, but young women are a high-risk group for cigarette smoking compared to the general population. And tobacco use in pregnancy specifically is linked to higher risks of things like ectopic pregnancy, cleft lip and palate, fetal growth restriction, placental previa, placental abruption, P-prom, preterm delivery, increased perinatal mortality, increased risk of sudden infant death syndrome, all of these things that are very, very scary. So just to kind of spell all of that out, tobacco is also linked with lifelong health implications. So pregnancy can be a great motivator to quit smoking for good and make significant changes for lifelong health. So 54% of those who smoke during or pre-pregnancy will quit at least for the pregnancy. And that's a great time for us to capture these patients and talk to them about, hey, if you can do it for nine months, you can do it forever. In terms of our conversation today, we are going to lump in things like e-cigarettes and vaping, cigars, and hookah, but uh, just know that data for these specific forms of consumption are overall limited. However, these may have somewhat different risks overall, though many, particularly hookah and vaping, are perceived to be safer by the general population, and we do have to say right now, they are not. 
the committee opinion actually has this great table comparing the amount of nicotine in each varying method of consumption, and it's worthy to keep in handy. We're not going to go over all of it today because that's a really boring way of reading a list to you guys. But let's talk about how we can intervene, Nick. So what can we do as physicians, as clinicians, to hopefully get our patients to take that step to quit smoking? I think one of the first things you have to be willing to do is to ask. You know, I think that especially in the time period where so much of our preclinical screening is like going to patients' phones or they're doing it on like a big packet of papers that they get in the waiting room and then you kind of haphazardly try to look through them as you're talking to the patient, actually having a conversation about tobacco use and nicotine consumption is really, really important. One thing that many of these screening tools are not good at capturing is the alternative form of nicotine consumption, as you just mentioned, Faye, the hookah, the cigar, the vaping. Patients may not disclose those if not specifically or directly asked, and so you should definitely try to be all-encompassing in your screening. Um, motivational interviewing techniques are also really, really important to your ultimate intervention um, and seeing people succeed in quitting. Cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing are beneficial, again, to initiate and then sustain tobacco use cessation. And even if someone's not ready to quit, those consistent motivational approaches may be beneficial over the time and ultimately encouraging them to get there. I think many of us probably from back in medical school are familiar with a tool called the five A's. Um, and this is what the committee opinion points to as sort of the model for asking and then moving forward with a quit intervention. So just to go over it really quickly, the five A's are ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange. So ask, we just mentioned again, with asking about smoking, other nicotine or tobacco use, you want to characterize the amount and frequency of use at the same time. Advise being the next A. If the patient's still using these products, you should provide that advice about the risks of continued use, going through some of those risks like Faye just mentioned. Next, assess whether the patient's willing to quit. And you can just very easily ask them, do you feel that you're ready to quit smoking now? If they say yes, then great and you can move on to the next step. And if they say no, then you can kind of continued motivational moving forward and encouraging that patient to think about quitting for future visits. Assist is the fourth A. And so again, if that patient is ready to quit, provide those materials and options to help get quitting started. Some of the recommended interventions include the patient setting up a tobacco-free space in the home, particularly if they're smoking inside, seeking out a quitting buddy who can help keep them accountable, and or using a service like 1-800-QUIT-NOW that can help provide ongoing support for patients who are looking to quit smoking. And then finally, and I think one of the things that often gets missed from us as obstetrician gynecologists and the sort of transient time period that patients come in and out of our office is the last A for a range. Again, continuing follow-up visits to track and encourage success. And that doesn't necessarily need to be with us, but if you're kind of in a subspecialty practice like maternal fetal medicine, or you do primarily prenatal care and you're not doing long-term primary care things, transitioning a patient successfully to a primary care physician who can continue to encourage the patient to keep up the quit is important. 
It's important to note that this is a journey. 50 to 60% of patients who quit smoking during pregnancy will resume within a year postpartum. Um, and so it's important as obstetrician gynecologists that, again, we encourage folks and we transition folks the appropriate resources to help them sustain the quit during that stressful, potentially tumultuous first postpartum year. Um, we should keep up and continue to ask patients at future visits. Finally, no, you should encourage the whole family to quit smoking. Again, if you want to have family-motivated success, the best quitting buddy is probably the patient's partner. So if you can have, again, that family unit quitting smoking, setting up good outcomes for your patient, for the partner of the patient, and for that baby that's coming along, um, you've done basically three times the work by meeting one patient, um, which I think is really great. All right, so Faye, um, there's a little bit of beyond the basic topics that I want to get into today, even though we're kind of limited in terms of the amount of data we have, and that's about pharmacotherapy. Because so I think I actually have seen a consult or two from general OBGYNs as an MFM fellow now looking to you know get someone started on pharmacotherapy for smoking cessation. Like you said, there is unfortunately limited data for most of these methods, but we'll talk about a couple. So the first is nicotine replacement, which provides a stable controlled dose of nicotine in the form of things like gum, patches, or lozenges. And the gum may actually provide some benefit psychologically due to that oral fixation. Unfortunately, these types of nicotine replacement have not been demonstrated to be effective in pregnancy in terms of helping people to quit long-term, and any planned use should be with clear resolve of the patient to quit in mind. Um, the other thing that I you know, tell people is that if they're doing nicotine replacement, it's really to encourage them to just use the nicotine replacement and not to smoke on top of that. The next option is to use pharmacologic cessation agents. So the two things that we kind of think of are things like veronicline, um, the commercial name is Chantix, or bupropion, the commercial name of which is Welbutrin. So veronicline is a partial agonist for nicotinic receptors in the brain. Overall, it has limited data in pregnancy, but that data that exists does not really demonstrate any form of teratogenicity. So certainly something to talk to your patients about in terms of risk-benefit during that pregnancy if they are really motivated to quit. Bupropion is also an antidepressant and may be used as such um, outside and in pregnancy. Again, data is overall limited, but there is no known risk of fetal anomalies or adverse pregnancy outcomes. So again, I think certainly able to have that conversation with your patient about the risks and benefits of being on bupropion during pregnancy. All right, Nick, um, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So let's quickly summarize. Sure. So we first laid the groundwork for the importance of tobacco nicotine cessation and that tobacco remains the leading cause of preventable disease, disability, and death in the United States despite overall decreasing rates of smoking. Young patients of reproductive age are in a high-risk group for cigarette smoking compared to the general population. And so at visits with patients, beyond focusing on just sort of the well-known potential problems of smoking, like lung cancer, oral cancers, cervical cancer, tobacco use in pregnancy should also be discussed, and tobacco use with respect to things like ectopic pregnancy, fetal growth restriction, preterm delivery, increased perinatal mortality, or sudden infant death syndrome risk should really, really be a good motivator for patients to quit prior to pregnancy or during pregnancy. 
In terms of how we intervene as a clinician, the first thing is to ask. Be sure to ask about those alternative forms of nicotine consumption and also use motivational interviewing techniques um, to try and initiate and sustain tobacco use cessation. We can also use tools, things like the five A's, where we ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange. And also, um, as Nick had previously mentioned, quitting smoking is a journey. We know that there are many people who quit during pregnancy but resume within one year postpartum. And a great way to hopefully get them to continue to quit is to keep up and ask at future visits and encourage the whole family to quit smoking. Moving beyond the basics and thinking about pharmacotherapy, there boils down to really three main things. There's nicotine replacement, which again provides a stable controlled dose of nicotine through either gums, patches, or lozenges. These unfortunately have not been demonstrated to be effective in pregnancy, um, though if they are planned to be used, it should be with, again, a clear resolve of patients to quit. You shouldn't be using both nicotine replacement and smoking as a plan. You should be thinking about really quitting smoking altogether with use of these agents. Pharmacologic cessation agents for assisting in quitting smoking include Vernicline or Chantix and Bupropion or Wellbutrin. For both of these drugs, there's only limited data in pregnancy, but that which exists is encouraging in the fact that it doesn't demonstrate any increased risk of teratogenicity or adverse pregnancy outcomes. All right, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee. And if you want to give some donations to the show, you can go onto our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. If you give us a donation, we may give you a shout out of the show or some swag. You can find show notes for this episode and all of our previous episodes on our website, CreogsOverCoffee.com. And if you want to suggest an episode for us or um, correct something on this episode or any other episode, or if you just want to chat, email us creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.